0: Before we get started, I just want to make a reminder to everybody that the information uh, discussed today is not to be interpreted or construed as investment advice. Everyone's financial situation, goals, and objectives are different. Please consult investment advice. Welcome back to the Looney Hour, Episode 8. As always, we've got uh, our favorite uh, boomer, the turkey man with ice cap asset management, Keith Dicker. Uh, Welcome back to the show, Keith. And then, of course, we've got uh, the now famous uh, Rich Diaz um, of Acorn Macro (laughs) Research. Uh,
1: Welcome back.
2: Morning, guys. Nice to see you again. I think think it's uh, afternoon
1: for me, but it's. Yeah, sorry, it's afternoon for me too. Early for uh, Steve out there on on the West Coast. That's right. Just woke up from
0: his uh, afternoon nap there. So. (laughs) <laughs> Thanks for joining us, and uh, he actually might be stepping aside here uh, in the show uh, periodically to make some trades. So he's a important man. Um, but um, yeah, kind of on that topic, we actually, uh, you know, we're getting a lot of positive feedback uh, on the podcast, so we certainly appreciate everybody's support. Uh, you know, we were talking just before recording this. I think one of the things that you tend to at least I appreciate in like long form content when you just get you know three people on that are not constrained, you know, by a, an employer essentially or or a bank or whatever. Is that you kind of you kind of say what you need to say without being necessarily filtered? So, I mean, Keith, you've had a lot of uh, experience, myself and and Rich now, but just dealing with the media and stuff. I mean, I don't know if you have any sort of comments on that. Like, I just feel like. You're kind of a little bit more in a box, right? If you go on like BNN, Bloomberg, or something.
1: God, we love them, but uh... yeah, I mean, it's changed. It's changed a lot over the years. And uh, so, what I think what's really great about media today, you know, uh, I, I call it social media, so whatever you guys want to refer to it as, but now we have all these new platforms that are available. So you know, people like us and a lot of other like great people out in in the in every world we're looking at we're able to hop on very quickly and express our view. And we were able to connect instantly with people who are not able to connect with people in mainstream media. So if you heard someone being interviewed on BNN or Bloomberg or someone like that, in mean, the odds of you just getting that person's email or phone number or DM on Twitter, it it's zero. You're not gonna be able to do it. So I, I think it's just fantastic, but it has changed quite a bit over time. And I mean, your main point that, You know, we can say and do and and write and talk about things that we can't do on mainstream media uh, that you can't happen. So for example, uh, you know, I'm always the story guy. But uh, back in 2016, during the the Brexit referendum, I I was being, uh, I was in one of the big studios that day in one of the big cities was one of the one of the big, you know, news platforms and uh, so the way it works if you've never been there you know it, it, it's it's actually really interesting cool you know you might on tv you see one person with the light on them and the person they're interviewing but you have maybe eight to twelve camera sound guys behind you and behind the platform that you can't see you also have then various uh, show producers so for the you know the Money Hour at 10 a.m., like, that has a producer. They have to get people to interview, stuff like that. But just before I was about to go on this, this morning, or it was, it was the afternoon, actually, um, the producer came up to me and said, okay, uh, by, by the way, you're not allowed to talk about Brexit. And I said, what are you talking about? Like, it's the most important story in the world today. Everyone's talking about Brexit. And he said, yeah, but we don't want to be seen as, as trying to influence the election, or oh, I'm sorry, the referendum and the vote. And I looked at, again, the person... Well, first of all, we're in Canada. I don't think the Brits care too much what they care what I'm going to say, of course, but not too much about what everyone else is going to say. And, of course, I also said, by the way, didn't Obama just tell everyone that they better vote for it, <laughs> you know, going on that route? But, again, it was an example where what you see on mainstream media sometimes or read in in, the, in print and things like that, uh, it can get scrubbed out uh, quite a bit. I think I think, Rich, you may have had that experience as well recently, correct? Well, I don't have as much
2: anywhere near as much experience as um, as you and, and Steve do. I, I probably have a face for radio, to be honest. But um, I would say just in general, I think more sort of stepping back as my experience more generally, I think, and I think I've, my frustrations are shared with a lot of people is that, especially analysts, like people, you know, we, we try to study markets, we love markets, we understand, I think we appreciate complexity. And I think we kind of, um, we thrive on ambiguity. And I think that for me, the you know not to dwell too much on it, but the frustrating thing is that it's um, it's that a lot of issues that you see, whether it's in the markets or politics or whatever, is that it's never just one thing, and and life is messy. And I think instead of giving, and I think the back to what Steve was saying, I think the long form gives you an opportunity to kind of sift through all the different inputs and outputs um the pushing and the pull the different kind of um for each subject um each idea there's a lot of lots of things to unpack um and it allows you to sort of flesh out sort of the reasons for a particular uh, something happening whether it's the you know, the the natural gas spike in in Europe, why that's happening. Um, it's not just one thing. Um, you know, life is messy. We've all, you know what I mean? It's just, that's what life is. It's, it's, you know, different shades of gray. And I think that this, an opportunity to have a discussion with you guys, um, as well as, you know, other podcasts that I listen to and other forms of long-form media, I think that allows for that. Whereas I think the sort of mainstream media I don't think they, they trust their audience enough. I think that that's for me, the, that's the way I would couch it. I don't know, Steve, if you have a view I've, on that. I've got a, uh, no, I've just got like a kind of like a, a
0: funny story, but uh, just like on the media side, because, you know, like I like this long form podcast because, you know, we're mostly finance markets guys, right? So you're always trying to get to like, you're just trying to find the, the, the truth and you're just trying to like figure out ultimately, I mean, how you can, make money and protect your hard-earned capital off of that information, right? So, you kind of have to keep your emotions out of it. Um, I just find it funny because, like, I'll, I'll go on all these, like, media things for Vancouver real estate, but there's been so many times where I've been on, like, invited on, like, the local radio show, right? So, they're like, okay. And uh, so, they bring you on, and they're like, okay. They're like, what's happening in the Vancouver housing market, Steve? Can Like, why what's going so for example it was like at the start i think it was like you know throughout the pandemic then they're like i don't get it like pandemic people lost their jobs steve like what's going on like how are house prices going up and i'm like oh my god i was like i've got four minutes here <laughs> to explain quantitative easing you know expansion of the m2 money supply um negative interest
2: rates
0: (laughs) yeah and uh you know explain residential mortgage credit growth and how banks create you know credit and blah 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 it's like so obviously you know and that's not their target audience because they're so you're just like all you can do is you jump on that show for four minutes you go well there's not enough homes on the market right now so we have prices that are up but it has nothing to do with the money printers um, you know, um, but anyways, that's why I like the long form content is that you're able to, and obviously I think we've got the right audience here at the Looney hour. Uh, we've got some smart listeners. So
1: I think I it's listen, listener, isn't it yeah. your mom or my mom? <laughs> key, key, my mom, mom definitely yeah.
2: listens every week just for the record. <laughs> <laughs> tell her
0: to tell her, do we need a review here to boost our, uh,
1: SEO juice? Um, but, but speak- other thing like, uh, but let's just jump in as well. Like the other thing that's really great today about these different platforms, um, you know, like on Twitter especially. Uh, I remember a few years ago, uh, this this person I did not know tweeted another person who I knew of, and um, so it was Raul, Raul Paul, the Real Vision guy, and he uh, said, "Hey, we should get Ice Cap Global on on your show." and uh he's like good idea who is he and the other guy said oh, i don't know <laughs> no idea right so you know and it, it turned out that guy was you know we're, we're best friends today we're, we're quite good friends and um but it, that's that's the way it works now for example i did a podcast yesterday um with a guy bradford macarthur he's in squamish so steve just uh not too far from you yeah and uh so he and i we you know we had, well, he, he has a really cool broadcast. So a uh, straight uh, podcast that he's doing, I encourage everyone to check him out. It's called the emperor's new clothes. I think that's, that's the name. The I was on there too. Yeah. So we're chatting a great conversation. He's such a nice guy, super guy. And I said to him, I said, how far out from Vancouver are you? He said, about 45 minutes for an hour. Hey, say, I said, Hey, uh, when I go up there uh, next time, I said, I, I know another guy there. Uh, you should, we should get out for a pint or something. He said, yeah, with Steve, right? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So uh, again, like I didn't know Steve that you, you and he were friends, and then he and I are. But it's just the way everything gets connected together. And again, like with the whole social media platforms today, uh, I know a lot of people are interacting with us, and it, it's really great because we expand our networks. And you, you're literally have like a twenty four hour clock going with, with your network all the time. And again, it's, totally. just, it's just outstanding. Well, speaking of connected, um, as always, we're going to try to connect
0: markets, uh, for everybody here that's listening. Um, cause we had, you know, a, a decent news week, uh, Keith, I know you, uh, <laughs> Rich, is, Rich is getting ready here. Um, we had Jay Powell come out, uh, testify there and, I know he's now dropped the word transitory, so a big win for for Rich there in his portfolio. Um, but yeah, I mean, it definitely a, a nice pivot there from you know Powell the dove to you know he's getting quite hawkish now, right? I mean, they're talking about accelerating the taper. So, uh, Rich, I don't know if you want to take it away
2: first and foremost because um, this is you know, you've been you've been beating this drum for a while now. Um, yeah, so I'm going to take a small victory lap. Um, there you go. Victory lap over. Um, I, I don't take any. You know, in some ways, I love being sort of right about this, but in other ways, I think it's really a shame. Right at the end of the day, inflation's bad for working class people, and although it's it's fun to be right about, it, at the end of the day, it's meaningful. It's meaningful for people who who don't necessarily have pricing wage power, and it's it's meaningful for people on fixed income who might be of a certain vintage. Um, and so, although it's fun, um, to write about it and, and to sort of, to see it come through as you sort of predicted at the end of the day, it's the, you know, the rubber does meet the road. There's real people's lives. Um, I think that are impacted by these policies and I think, you know, an homage to, to Keith's sort of pragmatism. I think it's important. We sort of just remember that. Um, so it's quite, I think it's quite sobering, but basically the reality is, um, sorry, not the reality, but the news, the headline is that. Jerome Powell, and then subsequently, um, Janet Yellen. Um, And I think I'm quoting them correctly, they want to retire the word transitory. Um, I think in, in April or June, I forget now the months are all sort of blending together, I wrote a note called No, it's, it's not transitory. And, And my issue was um, that the following reasons, I can lay them out now for you and I can share this note that I've written for people, but um, it's debt demographics, and ultimately, um, it's policy. Um, it's, you know, we've just talked about this before in the past, it's it's financial oppression. Um, the only way that any of this debt gets paid back is, um, is through um, having interest rates, sorry, inflation well above interest rates and sustaining that. Um, I think it's important to remember there's a demographic thing, and maybe we'll get into wages later, but I think the the demographic situation definitely impacts that. I'm not going to digress in there. And the other thing I think is important is the shelter component, which we've talked about. I'm not getting into that. But basically, what it comes down to it is that um, Jerome Powell has effectively admitted that inflation is going to be higher for longer than they had previously thought. And they want to sort of move away from the word transitory and the other, and the upshot for investors is that he has said that they're willing to move forward any tapering, um, which I think is negative for some people, positive for others. Um, I think it's, some people are going to be happy to call their bluff. <laughs> but what does tapering mean? Tapering means um, tightening of monetary policy. So reducing uh, bond purchases um, even further and bringing forward um, or accelerating the pace at which they reduce bond purchases. Sorry, that's mouthful. I think, and Keith, did I get that right? Draining liquidity. So yeah, Keith, do you want to touch on, um,
0: I mean, do you have, I kind of want your view, Keith, here, uh, you know, as a market guy on how successful this is going to go, because we've, you know, as we'll get into in the show, the turkey man, <laughs> We're you know we're seeing we're seeing some some turbulence already, and we're seeing obviously you know a bit of an equity sell off here. Um, So I mean, Powell's getting hawkish. What's your what's your view on how this plays out? Because this has, and again, just to to reiterate, because we know this is a Canadian focused show, the Bank of Canada basically takes their orders from the Fed. So the Fed is the the U.S. Fed is the most important central bank. Um, So it directly affects or impacts our interest rates here in Canada. So Keith.
1: So this week was incredibly important from our perspective because it signifies it's a pretty big dramatic turning point. So as investor managers, we're always looking, you know, you know, to to zag when everyone is zigging and zigging when they're zagging and stuff like that. Now that we have the Fed admitting that, hey, you know, inflation is a challenge. We're we're no longer going to try to hide behind this, you know, transitory, Phrase and you know we're going to start becoming hawkish. We love this because now what this is telling us it now now the countdown is on until a crisis does develop in the emerging market world. It it's it's happening as of yesterday afternoon. The clock has started to tick now. Whether it's you know measured in days, weeks, months, or a couple of quarters, it's it's not going to take very long. But as as soon as this now starts to develop, all of a sudden it, it's really going just to start start to suck the energy out of the emerging market world. So capital is gonna start coming out, it's gonna start flowing into the dollar, flowing into the treasury market and, and, and so forth. And then what it also does, all of a sudden now they've had to say, yeah, inflation's a problem. Now the BOC says, yeah, inflation's a problem. Everyone else says inflation is a problem. What I'm sharing with everyone right now, you know, our listener of course, is that, hey, the next big shock coming up is that inflation won't be a problem. So what I mean by that as the dollar gets stronger, is the Fed, if they try to become more hawkish, you know, reduce QE, slow it and maybe even try to raise rates, this, this has potential to create this, uh, this deflationary shock to the system in, in the market world. So for example, one thing we look at, of course, is the yield curve. The yield curve is flattening. People say, what, what the heck is that?" It means that the, the difference between short-term interest rates and long-term interest rates is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And you might see that out there quite a bit, and you know, different you know media platforms and so forth. But there's another sort of yield curve that we look at as well. It doesn't get any play whatsoever. Um, one of the guys you know Jeff Snyder with Alhambra, he's down in the US, he talks about it all the time. But the overnight rate in the euro dollar market, so from one day to three days to five, ten days, this is a very short time frame you're looking at. Even that is starting to invert. So as soon as you get an inversion of the yield curve or flattening, it's telling you. Hey, growth is going to slow. And then when that happens, and that, that's when the naughty things start happening in the market. So from our perspective, I think it's great that Powell said that. And it, it does signal that we got a big turn coming up in the market. Now the fuse has been lit. And, and that's just great from a market perspective. Now you know what's going to happen. And Keith, my <clears throat> my opinion of your comments, because I, I know you fairly
0: well, but uh I, I think that you're at uh, the stance still, because people are going to people, you know, when you say what you say, I think there's a lot of people that get things confused. So there is some people I think that might interpret that as that, okay, well, the Fed's really gonna hike rates, and we're going back to this rate normalization period. But correct me if I'm wrong, but your view is basically they're not going to get very
1: far here without triggering, uh, again, uh, some sort of event in in markets. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way markets work is always, you know, you buy the rumor, sell the news. Um, I mean, we've talked before about, you know, will the Bank of Canada get eight rate hikes in? And you know, all three of us, you know, we we all agree, you know, it won't be eight. You know, they might be lucky to get two or three. But that fuse has already been lit now. You know, with with the biggest guy in in the room saying, "Yeah, we we agree." You know, we're going to start to tighten in in various ways, um, and and so you know, the markets will begin to adjust for that, and. When they do start to hike, and again, I don't I don't think they will get to hike at all in the US. It's I think it's gonna be a shock if they believe But the fact that they're saying, hey, that's where we're going now for certain. And what of course leads to our conversation from last week is that, you know, and this is setting up for a market event. And then Powell decides, you know, all of a sudden he has an account in Panama that he didn't report, and he's he's invited to leave Washington, and the new chair comes on, and they become dovish, of course. You know, that's where they want to go. So can I Rich. can I jump in there? So I think I'm I think I'm a little
2: bit I think I have a slightly differentiated view than you, Keith. I think that that's although I agree with sort of the layout. I just I don't think that demand and growth is as weak as I think people think. And, and although I th- I can see the potential for a deflationary shock, I also see that there's actually room for continued. There's still a lot of pent up demand, um, and I think that. You know, people are still, I mean, I was in the U.S. last week. Everybody is out. Everybody is out. And I think that, and like the, the stadiums are packed. People want to travel. People are cashed up and they want to move on. And I think that we can't sort of, although I, I I think that it's important to recognize Keith made a very, you know, you know, succinct point with respect to Powell and, you know, buying the rumor and selling the, the fact. And I get, I get all that. However, I think it's important to recognize that, You know, there's some technical indicators that are important here too, right? We're ending, the year's ending, the market was overbought, um, you know, sentiment was really, really quite bullish, which is a contrarian indicator. People want to protect their bonuses towards the end of the year. And, you know, you're you're in a situation where the market was almost, I think, ripe for a catalyst. We wrote about this in our asset allocation strategy a couple of weeks ago. And you know, along comes this Omnicom thing, which I think we can't discount. Um, or Omnicom, I can't remember the name of the new variant, but we can't discount that. And I think that that's so maybe where Keith and I might disagree is I think this actually provides cover in a way. You know, this. Um, and so, go ahead.
1: <laughs> so just just to add to that, and uh, our when I say that. It, this is going to change. Like the turn is occurring. It, it's not from within the u s. Remember the u s. Okay. is the core okay. of the yes, the center of Sorry, It's, my Rome. Mistake. My its mistake. Rome. And as we all know now, Rich was down in in America last week during the biggest shopping season of the world. So of course, you saw people out, you know having having fun Thanksgiving week. Our view is that all the trouble it, it starts from outside the u s. That's where that's where it starts. And, uh, you know, the U S has always been, you know, beating to its own drum, you know, and then that, that's for sure. But again, like, and it's, we keep going back to Canada all the time as well. Like the challenge with Canada is it's not inside of Canada. It, again, it's going to be this external shock that will come along. So like for your view, you, Rich, like when you say, Hey, the U S it looks, it's pretty strong and it is, it, it is right. It, it's, it's really good. I see all the same things that you do as well. And, um, uh, but for that reason, if the rest of the world starts to weaken first, whether it's from financial conditions or geopolitical risk that's happening or funding costs and so forth, it, it just makes the U.S. even more attractive. So I think the U.S. data points will be the last one to start reflecting any kind of deterioration. I,
2: I guess so. But, but I'm, sorry, one last thing. I just think for me, it's like, you know, my job is I'm not as I think from I think it's fun because we get to contrast our um are constraints right keith is i think if i may say a little bit more short term in because he's actively trading um you know he's got you know he's got particular goals to meet in in the near term and for me my clients are much more long-term in nature and i think that allows me to sort of um, look past, I think, this noise, I think. And I also, frankly, don't have mark-to-market losses that I have to worry about. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. And so for me, it's like, and also the question is always, do you want to buy stocks or do you want to buy bonds? I mean, at the, at the that is what dominates you know, 90% of my thinking. Because that, mm-hmm. and for me, for my clients, that's a, the most important thing. Um, you know, you can worry about tech or energy or financials or consumer staples or whatever you want but if you're overweight bonds when you should be underweight all that stuff doesn't matter. And so for me, you know, 6 to 12 months out, do I want to own um do I want to own those stocks or do I want to own those bonds? And for me the math, although it's getting cloudier, I still think for me on, on my end it still hasn't changed. I still I I don't see how bonds return um any money in real terms. Whereas I think the valuation, the earnings outlook, the expectations for earnings have been absolutely drilled to the floor. Um, you know, you get a shakeout towards the end of the year, and I think you can actually have an opportunity if, as Keith points out, they back off from their hawkish stance to have sort of another leg up. And that, and, and so that that's maybe, that's why I think it's fun to talk to you, Keith, because we do have sort of, we see, we have different lenses and we have different um, sort of time horizons. Um, you guys, you guys can fight it
0: out later in the parking lot. <laughs> um, but no, I do think that definitely matters. Time horizons, I think, is everything is people always get confused. And I get this all the time when I talk about like the housing market even, right? It's just like, oh, you said, you know, you said this. And I like, listen, I said, you know, anyways, it's all just depends on time horizons. But, um, you know, um, Keith, I want to get to... Uh, quickly on on turkey as well um because there's been some updates there um people that have been listening to this podcast had you tuned in a couple of weeks ago you might have made some money off uh turkey so you can send uh you know send a gift card over to Keith there uh and it is a um Keith Keith what's the latest there it seems like it's brewing into a bit of a crisis now
1: yeah, you know, unfortunately for people over there, um, you know, it, it continues to deteriorate. So um, it, it's it's the same thing is happening, uh, capital, foreign capital is, is leaving the country. So the currency continues to weaken, which means inflation is, is really high over there. Now, mind you, like the inflation that we're experiencing over here, it's because there's a lack of supplies coming in. The other way to experience inflation is have your currency depreciate rapidly. And, and that's what's happening there. Uh, the central bank, they're uh, they have negative reserves. So again, we mentioned before, the, the central bank is taking dollars from the commercial banking system. Uh, they also have a swap line with Qatar, I, I believe it is, and uh, so they're you know they're the last two days they've been dramatic, like spending so much money selling dollars buying lira to try to stabilize it. And they can only do that, you know, it's hours that they can do that for. And then the crisis will resume again. So, uh, I mean, the the only way to save this in Turkey right now is is really for the Fed to step in and say, yeah, we'll we'll give you a swap line as well. Uh, That would dramatically change things. But behind the scenes, there's a whole lot of geopolitics taking place. So the bottom line is that as Turkey continues to deteriorate, And if the rest of the world starts to say, yeah, you know, risk off is now happening. um, You know, people say, well, you know, there's no contagion taking place, you know, what it's kind of irrelevant, how you would describe it. The point is, now you get, you know, one plus one, you know, could equal three in terms of Risk coming off, so like everyone, continue to watch this uh, Turkish lira story because the effect for Canadians is that it, it could cause uh, credit spreads to widen. That means it becomes more expensive for you and I to borrow, whether it's in the housing market or you know with any other kinds of lending. But again, that leads it, me, yeah, like cool. this this whole Turkey story. Uh, you know, we have been following it you now for maybe two years ago, and about a year ago, we we put out a paper about it. And that's my point with, with these big turning points. I think they're incredibly easy to identify. And I think you can be right, you know, 75% of the time. You don't know when it happens, but, you know, it, it's going to happen. And that's Turkey. Then it goes back to, of course, now as I said earlier with, the, you know, with the Fed turning hawkish. Um, I think that just, you know, it, it's just a matter of of when, not if, you know, we get this other pullback. Well,
0: that brings it to a, to a next uh, good point here because... Just to connect all the dots for you guys, um, you know, as Keith mentioned, his his mic's levitating here. Um, that uh, <laughs> you got the situation where you know credit credit spreads start to to blow out a bit in Turkey, and that sort of ripples through over to to parts of Canada. Um, but one of the ones I wanted to highlight here uh, it was we we talked about pre-show was municipalities. Um, so for example, where I am here in Vancouver, um, it says, you know, this big headline out city of Vancouver, shaky finances, finances, and spending levels could necessitate a 10% property tax hike in 2022 and an average 7% property tax increase, uh, for the years from 2022 to 2026. Uh, so basically saying, Hey, you know, we're, Keith, we're going to touch on this in a sec here, but I think the point is is that I flagged as like, man, these guys are having issues, uh, financial issues with their with their budget at a time when housing house prices have never been higher, um, and interest rates have never been lower. So you can imagine, right, if the city of Vancouver's uh, borrowing costs, God forbid, should start to increase, it just makes the problem even worse. And and again, you know, these property tax increases are just a tax on consumption. They're just a tax on the consumer. So Keith, I don't know if you have any, you can explain maybe like the municipal um, <clears throat> governments, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but basically they're not allowed to actually run deficits.
1: Yeah, yeah. Most cities, uh, now maybe it's some jurisdictions, they don't have this, but it's my understanding, you know, maybe people can, can send us a note if, if this is right or wrong, but it is, it's my understanding. Most uh, municipalities, they have to run a balanced budget, you know, by law. And that, that's part of the provincial law. The province, of course, can run a deficit if if they need to. So if a, if a city runs into problems, say, hey, we, a problem, you know, we, we need a, a bailout or whichever way funding, it, it'll, you know, it'll it'll get funded down to them from the province. But the big challenge we have coming up here now is that uh, cities, like their expenses, it's expensive to run a city. You know, you have labor costs are going up, you know, the costs in Canada. So snow removal is going to go up because most of that is contracted out. Um, you you name it. So uh, they need to raise additional revenues, and the easiest one in the world is, is, is a stealth tax increase. Instead of raising property taxes, you know they'll reassess the value of your home, or they raise you know the, the cap limit of what can be taxed. And um, as soon as that goes up, like we pay probably one percent property tax where, where I am, and um, you know it, it's a big tax bill every year. And, um so say you're anywhere from, say, a quarter percent up to one percent and on an absolute dollar level, it's it's going to be a pretty big increase, which means there's less money available at the end of the day to spend on other things. And if energy prices keep going up, you know that's more money that you're pumping into your car and and stuff like that. Um, you know it's it's not positive for the economy. So the economy has to continue to to boom along. And then if you know the Bank of Canada, if they're raising rates as they say and stuff, again, it's it's kind of tough right now. Bottom line is there's too much debt out there, and if rates go up, it's gonna be hard for these guys, you know, to service it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I you everybody always talks about Canadian households, and I say, Well, look at yeah, you know, look at your municipal government, look at your provincial governments. Uh obviously we know Daddy Trudeau there is running uh massive, massive you know, deficits, which Rich has eloquently highlighted uh, in some of his charts there, which the Bank of Canada is now essentially funding. Um, so yeah, the the debt picture, I think globally <laughs> we've got, you know, $300 trillion worth of debt. That you got to roll, uh, refinance basically uh, to sort of keep the system going. Rich, I don't know if you got any comments there.
2: Well, I just wanted, I mean, stepping back again, just sort of, you know, taking sort of a, maybe pulling away from the immediate, I was just wondering... I mean, my view is that shouldn't property taxes go up? I mean, it just seems like who owns property? Old, rich people who, I mean, let's, let's, I mean, no, I'm, I mean, I'm being totally serious, right? Like, I mean, we've had a massive boon to asset holders. Um, What are those assets? Houses mostly, right? So I think 60, 70% of um, home, um, there's a 60 or 70% home ownership rate in Canada. Your house price- Yeah, so your house prices have gone up 20, 30% in some cases, 50% in some cases through misguided monetary policy. Um, The idea that you wouldn't sort of hand that a little bit of that back um, when you've made out like an absolute bandit I mean, in other countries, I mean, I think, and then there's the whole money laundering stuff that happens in Vancouver. I mean, we're not allowed to talk about that, of course, or else we're going to get banned. But, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, I, I, and the idea that you can't move that capital, right? So the problem with, you know, Elizabeth Warren, God bless her soul, she wants to tax capital gains. I think that that's obviously ridiculous. But, you know, and people want to tax wealth, where well, you can just move wealth. You can't move property, you know, and you and I think that that's so. So the so in a world where ta- debt is really, really high, and there's significant um, asset inequality, and rich asset owners have made out like absolutely crazy because Justin Trudeau and God bless the Bank of Canada, how else are we going to square that circle? And to me, raising property taxes seems like an eminently sensible um uh, way of doing it so i I don't i I get of course i get the demand it'll hurt demand you know at the margin but i have yet to hear a better idea Um, well i mean i think what they
0: should be doing is they should be which again obviously they won't because when does the government ever lower taxes but you know you lower lower your income tax and have higher property taxes obviously makes sense if you're looking to balance inequality right because then you're you're incentivizing, incentivizing work you're incentivizing work but that's exactly labor, my point
2: product I mean there's there's houses in Vancouver that are worth tens of millions of dollars that are sitting empty and the idea yeah. that you wouldn't raise property taxes on those houses in order to pay for services to me I, I just I don't I really don't quite see the 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 like the ethical moral or economic justification to push back against that. I don't, that's that's my view on that. So, but like Keith says, we shouldn't worry so much about what should, we should worry about what is, and what is, is those taxes are gonna go up and it's gonna hurt demand in the near term, for sure.
0: I'm still wondering if that Trudeau government ever, still mumblings about it, if they ever do end up taxing your primary
1: primary residence and removing that happen. exemption. Never gonna happen. I think, I think Steve and I might have a conversation about, Getting rich off the show for suggesting <laughs> that it's it's going to be so I, I have a bit of a a, a different view than that. Um, I mean, you 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 can't just because someone's house has increased in value, it doesn't mean that they should pay a, a bigger share of tax. There's two reasons for that. One is that just because the property of the value of your property is increased, it doesn't mean your income has increased. So let's just say your house went from one million to ten million for whatever reason, and they kept that 1%, all of a sudden, where are you gonna get the cash to pay that tax bill? But they won't you do that. That's a strong, have, I mean, that's a strong argument. They're not gonna raise it. No, that. no, but that's an extreme point though, but if I, like a lot of people, just say somebody had a $200,000 house, and now it's worth 250, okay? And say all of a sudden their tax bill has gone up by $2,000 for the year right, or 24, like 200 bucks a month, let's say that, that's a lot of money for some people. And um, again, so I I disagree with the private sector having to take on the liabilities of the public sector, because that's what it is. It's not that hey, we should tax property because it went up in value or tax the assets of, of the private citizens because it's gone up in value. What's really happening is that the public sector is saying, you know what, we have no idea how to control our expenses. We're always spending beyond our means. We can never allocate capital efficiently. So because we're really not good at that, the private sector, you have to pay for that. And I I disagree with that. So like, I, guys, when, when you
2: when you put it that way, I totally... I agree. However, taxing incomes also, like Steve's point about income versus assets, is is hundred percent. We are disincentivizing Canadians to work. Why Let's work show. when you can just borrow money and invest in property and you never ever get taxed? And I think that's you know we're in a situation where th- those two things, Keith. I agree with you, of course. I'm a markets guy. Please don't kick me off the podcast. But there's there's <laughs> a, you know there's there's the two things that are coming up, you know, the, you know, an immovable, what is it? Uh, and so unstoppable force and an immovable object. I mean, you have a situation where you cannot keep taxing and disincentivizing
1: income. Um, and, and I and think though, but that's a good point, Rich. I think though ultimately like that's where we're headed is that we're talking about the current system. It, it doesn't work. Right. I right? agree. If, if you have to raise taxes. And again, I completely disagree with whatsoever. I would be taxing income and not Asset values, because at least if you're taxing income, you make the assumption that, you know, it's going to be a lower percentage rate. And you're making the assumption that someone's income has has risen or they're going to raise on the tax bracket in terms of the income bracket story. Uh, but the main point here, you know, we're swimming through the weeds. The main point is that the system doesn't work. There's too yeah. much debt at the federal level, too much debt at provincial level, too much debt at the municipal level. And like, so what, what's really funny. So think about this. So, uh, you know, everyone, they follow tax returns every year, a lot of people have to get help to do that. <clears throat> um, you know, I run a, a business, so I have to get that done. I run, I run a regulated business, so I need audit books done. So if you just think about all the cost that goes into tax preparation, tax planning throughout the year. It's an incredible amount of money. And what's the value added of that to society? Now, I have lots of friends who are accountants and, <laughs> and stuff like that. And they're saying, well, Keith, you know, we, we need to buy, you know, a house, you know, in Vancouver next to Steve Zarefsky and all that stuff. But my point is that there's, there, there, there's going to be a different tax system coming up. And whether it's like a zero... So for example, I lived offshore for a long time and we had zero income tax. <clears throat> and people say, oh, well, wow, like, First of all, that's awesome. Lucky for you, because we pay forty percent in taxes. However, where I lived, we had the biggest consumption tax, and it was hidden. It was like everything that got import, import duty, died. right? Yeah, import duty. So the loaf of bread that's say it's two bucks here, it was like eight dollars there, right? That's what it was. So even though there was no income tax, it was a consumption tax, and that's the way maybe the tax system should be. If you're big and wealthy and you're buying stuff all the time, then you know by default you are you know, paying more in taxes, whether well, so, you're lower income, you know, you can go that route. Here's a good story though. For Again, I love stories. You get, you get really rich there, eh? If you don't eat your avocado toast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so what? one day uh, I was in the grocery store and it was winter time. And uh, so I was, I was in Bermuda, by the way, that's where it was. So uh, like mid Atlantic, not, not like in the Caribbean, so the winters can get quite cool, and we we actually had a fireplace in our in our house. And uh, so wintertime, you're thinking, boy, I like to uh, maybe I have a fire tonight because it gets really damp. And I'm in the fire, I'm in the uh, grocery store, and it's the in the grocery stores are the ones. Remember the you guys don't remember because you're you're young, right? But the old days, they had the the, the sticker gun. They put a sticker on everything for a pr- for a price, and uh, a lot of the stores down there they were still like that. And I'm at the cash cash ready to ready to check in my my grocery check out my groceries and uh, I, I see this like pile of, like armful of firewood on the floor like wrapped up with with some string and I'm thinking oh that's exactly what I need tonight so I pick it up and I'm in the line um, there's no price tag on it and I'm thinking I wonder what this is going to cost and uh, I said to my mind that's probably 60 to 80 bucks that's what I'm thinking for like 10 Yikes. pieces of wood yeah. So I'm there and I'm waiting and I keep going back. What is this going to cost? Everything, you know, will, will, will my wife be, would she like this or not? And, and she, all that. And finally you come to the cashier and I plop the wood up, you know, on, on the, on the, on the on the desk, whatever. And she goes, that's $45 for the wood. So think about 45 bucks for 10 pieces of wood, whatever it was. In my, in my mind, I got a deal that was outstanding. <laughs> Um, so but see, back to just... consumption though, but back to consumption, right? Yeah. I think there's different ways that, that we can do it and not go down the property tax and income tax route. So, but just one thing of being a pragmatist, I think this is why for
2: my clients and when I write about asset allocation, um, financial repression continues to be the driving force for all of my, um, decisions regarding investment. The other way of dealing with it, when you don't have, when you have a political, when you have a government that's feckless and unwilling to sort of tell its citizens that they need to change their, the the government needs to change its consumption patterns. So I agree with you, Keith, that I don't think the government's necessarily good at allocating capital, and they clearly haven't demonstrated um, a way of being responsible with their um, the money they do have. Is what you and then the way that you get it square that is financial repression you sustain inflation above interest rates for a long long time and ultimately your debt to gdp falls. and i think that so that's for me that you know when i'm speaking to my clients which drives what i put on twitter it drives the conversations that you and you guys when i have when people ask me rich what do i want to own for me that that's why it's it's the other way of doing it it's the um, it's the other way to square I, the circle
0: i mean i'm i'm big in the financial repression camp i think that uh yeah, I mean, it's funny I had a coffee uh, the other week with like a political strategist, right? And like, not that he needed to tell me this, but it was kind of interesting. But um, he's like, yeah, he's like, every one of our um, surveys, like every every bit of our research suggests that in Canada, and this is probably true around most of the world, is that they want bigger government. People are, they want more government, which is interesting, because that comes back to, you
2: um, It's because they've never lived in a communist country. It's
0: too nice here. comes
2: back to (laughs) Richard's Ask anybody anybody who grew up in in the 80s and 90s in Eastern Europe. Ask them if they want a bigger government. Right. But I feel like inevitably, as market people,
0: that's where we're going. And so taxes are going to rise to compensate the public sector. Mm -hmm. And we're going to need higher wages, which, speaking of, uh, as we've talked about on this show... Our good friends, congratulations at uh Cargill. Cargill? Cargill. Um, a twenty. That's the meat packing, the meat packing factory or whatever in Canada there. I think they're like they you know, manufacture like two-thirds of all the beef here or something, but they got a 20, 21 percent pay raise over the life of their uh union contract, which I think is like four or five years. So uh, and then we've got the uh the in vancouver here the uh the truckers at the the port of vancouver are set to go on strike uh this friday you know looking for higher wages everybody wants higher wages um so i know rich has been a little bit focused on this inflation and wage price spiral right i mean cost of living is clearly going up with governments demanding you know, higher property taxes, et cetera, et cetera. CPI inflation is high, asset prices are roofing. Um, So in order to even get this remotely
2: sustainable, you have to have higher wages. And I think we're starting to see that come through. But So this is, so if I can take this, so this is one of the pillars of my no, it's not transitory um, article that I wrote. Um, and I think there's two things going on. one of course it's the ridiculous policies um, that's the short- term kind of impulse, which you know Keith and I are stupid. Um, longer term, I think what people don't think about enough is the age dependency ratio um, and the fact that there's just a natural kind of attrition with respect to the number of prime age working people relative to the people who are either young or the people who are, very, very old who are retiring, and you're starting to sort of see that bite um, from the 1960s all the way to 2000. You had a massive influx of people in um, that prime age group of workers effectively. So think about, you know, one in one out, well, if you have, an, you know, supply and demand curves, they, they drive everything um it's beautiful as i love markets but anyway um you know you just had a big sustained increase in supply right think of the baby boomers and think of sort of the sort of the the ripple effect of that and now it's sort of the (laughs) the opposite and very few parts of the world have a growing um prime labor force and in the west in europe and in canada minus immigration in the US, you're starting to see sort of the opposite happen and you're having... So that, that's, for me, it's really fun to think about those kind of longer term impacts. But Keith, what do you think about the, shor- the shorter term? Sure you have, sure you have a view on the shorter term stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. and But it also sort of, you know, references back to what uh, Steve was talking about. A bit. So, you know, you can look at what, what percentage of the economy is coming from the government. You know, what is from the pub- public sector versus private? And I think in Canada now, right now... I'm sure rich knows the number of course you're the numbers guy but we're, we must be close to 50 percent
2: oh i don't think over 50 or, or just be it's below that it's not that, that high it's not that
1: high it depends uh, how you calculate it i i, I know you i know yeah. but anyways but the french for example the, the, the french have one of the highest a lot of the european right. countries and the highest numbers in in the world canada we're, we're heading that number is heading towards that same direction and as, as we go increasingly more towards uh, socialism or more stronger social policies, and it again, is, it doesn't matter whether you afford are it again, you're for it if you're receiving it, you're against it if you're if you're paying it. <laughs> and um, the, the point is though that as that begins to happen, that the country becomes less productive, less efficient. So then you have to try to make up for that in in other ways. And in Canada, I mean, like the biggest part of our 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 trade surplus that we produce in our current account is from the energy sector. And we have we already talked about that. That's that's declining. I mean that's that that's getting whacked. So has Canada been prepped properly to prepare for other ways to for production of, of the economy? And we haven't at all. It it just hasn't happened. So then you go to other countries, like to the US, I think they continue to have some of the best demographics they uh, get you know, they have some of the best rise in like, in like technology, innovation and healthcare, you name it. like it's it's a lot stronger there relative to Canada and the Europeans. So you know we can have a bit of a negative view, and I think where things are going to go. However, we have an extremely positive view on that as things get negative elsewhere, boy, boy, oh boy, the the US is going to be the the landing spot for all this money, you know, running either to maximize return, or from, you know, from safety, safety of capital. So uh, like these are big changes are taking place. Canada's got the three C's, right? Condos,
2: crude and cannabis. And we're (laughs) just about to lose crude. So we're down to two. It, what's so just to touch on the energy thing? What's really cool, actually, um, and um, I shared the chart on Twitter the other day is that we finally Canada's finally closed its current account balance, um, which is you know reasonable. Can you to... explain that for so current account balance is basically uh, comes from three or four places. It's based effectively it's trade plus plus, and then the plus plus is primary income. Um, and secondary income and those secondary incomes usually um, is usually certain like transfers. Canada doesn't really matter, but think countries like Mexico and the Philippines where transfers are an enormous chunk of, of thing. and it's effectively flows. and you can fund that flow um, via in, uh, inflows of so your capital account and your um, financial account your current account, excuse me, which is like trade in goods, services, uh, primary and secondary income need to affect more or less balance um, with your uh, your financial or capital account with so sort of error term, and that error term is the change in your uh, foreign exchange rate, right? Um, and Canada's current account, so that's the trade balance and services, your trade balance and goods, uh, your primary Income and secondary income, and like I said, those last two don't aren't really that big a deal, but they do certainly contribute. And so Canada has finally um, closed, so to speak, as in it's now zero its current account deficit. And I just wanted to remind everybody (laughs) that it's all energy because if it wasn't energy (laughs) products. (laughs) <laughs> Our current account balance would be super, super negative. And I just, sorry, you guys are laughing, but I just wanted to hammer that point home because <laughs> I got a lot of good response from that. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> so, I, I feel or, real bad for for Steve suresky's mom and, and my mom. <laughs> because they're not going to know what
2: the (laughs) god bless them oh so i thought it did a decent job explaining that i don't know it was good i i I followed it it. i know that's. i know that's a technical kind of thing and we shouldn't spend too much time on technicality so we can you're saying you're saying to
0: buy you're saying to buy gold good news i bought (laughs) i bought i now own more gold than the bank of canada oh yeah that was a yeah i bought one ounce so i went up to the teller I've never bought like physical I went up to the bouillon or whatever it's called and uh man what a disappointment that was I, I, was, like, I own only... one gold coin too just the... i uh, bought this thing I was like <laughs> in, like an ounce of gold right it was like 2400 bucks Canadian. Yeah. and uh he gave it to me and I was like, oh this is it like I was looking I was hoping I was get like one of those like bars for 2400 bucks and it was just this little No. oh it's pathetic so I think I'll just stick to my my crypto but uh, <laughs> I, I think that's probably a good, good way to wrap it up. Um, Looney Hour, episode eight. As always, we appreciate your support. Just to give us some uh, SEO juice in the podcast platforms. Uh, if you can hit thumbs up or rate and review the podcast uh, on Apple and Spotify uh, or what have you, subscribe. Uh, it certainly gives us more front of page views, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, as always, we appreciate the support and
1: we'll see you next week.